we're going to dive into Elijah today. And remember, let me catch you up. So last week we saw Elijah on a mountain totally depressed. After he defeats the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, after the, the, the country begins to repent of their sin, he's now depressed and hits a burnout stage and he wants to die. That's where we saw him last week. And God restores Elijah on the mountain. Remember that? He comes to him in a still, small voice. Well, what we're going to find out today is that once God restores us, he's totally fine with us being weak. In fact, he shows us his strength. And he loves to restore us. But once we are restored, he doesn't let us just sit around. He says, okay, bud, time for the next thing. Like, we still got work to do. There's a mission. And so he restores Elijah, and then he basically says, time to get back to work. And that's what we see today. 1 Kings 19, 15 to 18. And the Lord said to him, go. Everybody say go. Not sit around. Don't just hang out. It's time to go. As great as the mountaintop experience was, it's time to go back to work. Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you will anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. All right, there's a lot for us to unpack here, and there's so much that this text and these passages are going to speak to us and say to us today. So first of all, what I want you to understand is what happened on Mount Carmel was the beginning of something. It wasn't the end, it was the beginning. The moment on on Mount Carmel became a movement across the nation. So on Mount Carmel, we now get a number. God says to Elijah, there was 7,000, and they normally only counted men in the ancient world, unfortunately. So you can multiply it probably easily by at least two and probably three to get the amount of people that witnessed Mount Carmel. So there's probably about 20,000 men, women, and children who witnessed the fire falling on Mount Carmel. And God says, those people are now for me. But he's telling Elijah, hey, now that I've restored you, there's work to be done. What we started on the mountain now has to spread across the country. Remember, we learned last week, Jezebel didn't even know what had happened on Mount Carmel. Ahab had to come home and tell her. And when she found out, she wasn't happy. She's like, I'm going to send some people and and kill you, Elijah. That's what made him so depressed. So now it's time to go back to work because God does not just want a moment. He wants a movement. He wants to eradicate Baal worship in his nation. He wants it gone. He wants all of it gone. He wants every temple torn down. He wants every idol out. And he wants this to happen. But the problem is Elijah cannot do that alone. Elijah has been a bit of a lone ranger up to this point, hasn't he? He doesn't show up with his buddies. He's by himself. That's because he had to be. No one else, like no one else in the country, was trying to change the situation. So he had to stand alone. But does he have to stand alone now? Is he alone anymore? No, there's thousands of people who have repented and have turned back to God. So now he doesn't have to be alone anymore. He doesn't need to fight this battle alone, and he can't. Watch this. One prophet can do a moment like Mount Carmel, but it almost killed him. Mount Carmel almost killed Elijah. It took so much out of him, he was ready to die. How many many of you think Elijah can just keep going it alone? He can't. So what does God tell him? He says, in order for you to get rid of idol worship in my entire nation, which is my call on your life, you need a team. So he tells him, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to anoint three men 
to be your team members. The first two are going to be civic leaders, government leaders, Jehu and Hazael. These two guys, you're going to anoint them to be rulers, kings over different areas. And he kind of creates for you military guys in here a pincer movement. He's like, and if the prophets of Baal run from Jehu, who are they going to run into? Hazael. And if they escape Hazael, they're going to run into Jehu. Now it's not just you fighting Elijah. Now you're going to have three guys. But out of the three, you got Jehu and Hazael. Then you have Elisha. Don't get him confused with Elijah. You got to not confuse your Jehu with your Shah. All right? But we are introduced to another major character in the Bible. His name is Elisha. Little note here. Elijah is the more famous. Elisha does twice as many miracles in his lifetime that Elijah did. So it's amazing. He's going to do even greater things. In fact, Elijah will not finish the job of eradicating Baal worship in the country. You know who will? Elisha. He's going to see it to the end. All right? So what we see here is this new guy introduced to us, and it is Elisha. Elisha will be a companion for Elijah, but he'll also be his future successor. Do you hear what God said to him? He says, Elijah, you need to pour in, you need to mentor somebody. You need a companion, and you need to disciple someone and pour into them because you need to replicate yourself. You've been a lone ranger too long. Now, there's two things happening here. Number one, God needs him to disciple another person to do what he does. And that's going to be Elisha. But Elijah needs this guy because he needs companionship. How many of you know Elijah is not handling going it alone very well now? I mean, he just came off a mountain where he had almost lost it, right? He needs a friend. Remember, he had isolated himself. He had gotten rid of his servant and isolated himself. Elijah, kind of a weird dude, honestly. Like, if you look in the Bible, he dresses different than everyone else. You can look it up. There's a description of him. They're like, he's a real hairy dude. Brother takes baths and Rogaine, obviously. He's a really hairy guy. Looks like a grizzly bear. And he wears, like, this tunic where he just ties a belt around him. So if you've ever seen Rambo First Blood, that first one where he just finds a piece of cloak and ties it on. When I was a kid, I had the survival knife. Any of my 80s guys in the room, you had the, yeah, remember that? Take the top off, compass, a little saw in there. A little. You with me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wish I still had that thing. Okay, I do not have it anymore. That's what Elijah looked like. Look crazy, eats bugs and stuff. Eats out. I mean, word got around. Brother's been eating buzzard food for two years in the woods, right? I mean, and, and who, did, who did everyone think he was in the New Testament? The other crazy-looking guy, John the Baptist. Everyone said, you're Elijah. You got to be Elijah, okay? So God's looking at this guy a little wild. Go it along, God. He says... Brother, you don't have to be alone anymore. You need a companion. You need someone to look at you every now and then and go, Elijah, comb your hair, man. <laughs> Elijah, I know you've been eating bugs in the woods for a long time. We can get cake and stuff now. The drought is over, man. It's all right. He needed companionship. Iron sharpens iron. That's why Ecclesiastes says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. In other words, isolation's bad, y'all. Look, I'm part of a small group, so I have small groups at Three Circle. It's why when we serve, when you get on a serve team, it's as much about you getting to know other believers as it is doing the task. I'm in a small group every Wednesday night. Let me tell you, I got some bro, I got four or five guys who will, once we're done joking around as we always do, 
they will look me in the eye and go, how's your marriage? They're not impressed by me. I don't walk in like, ooh, that's Pastor Chris. No, they make fun of my sermons. Can you believe that? My small group guys. Like that's how my wife always says, if, if girls talk to one another the way you guys do, we would all never be friends again, right? So like in between my sermons on Sunday mornings, they'll send me snapshots of screenshots and stuff and they're making, but we have fun, right? But then they'll get serious. And I got four or five guys weekly that I got to look them in the eye. That's, what, that's how powerful community is. And they go, hey, you're off. Something's off with you. What's going on? They will pray for me. I am convinced if they had to, they would drag me out behind the house and handle business if I was getting too crazy and getting off course. If they thought I was wrecking my marriage and wrecking my life and wrecking my ministry, they would stand in my way because they love me enough. That's community. Folks, don't go it alone. I've been in ministry long enough to see the detrimental effect of isolation on believers. And that, the Bible's warning you here. It doesn't say if you fall, you'll need someone to pick you up. It says when you do. You will have weak moments, and you need community. You need other believers. Don't go it alone. If Elijah needed community, you do too. So what does he do? Well, he obeys, verse 19. So Elijah departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. And he said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following Elijah and he took the yoke of oxen. He sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and he assisted him. Okay, now we're going to look at some stuff here that I think is going to be very encouraging to everyone in the room and all of our campuses joining us right now. For every single one of us and all of our campuses, I think this is going to be really, really helpful. Because here's the truth. The rest of the day, we're going to look at the difference between and the similarities between mantles or cloaks. So what he gave to Elisha when he walked up is he gave him his cloak and that cloak is a mantle. It's what prophets wore. It's this thing they put on their shoulders that told everyone, I'm the prophet. It was a calling. And he gave it to Elisha. But when he found Elisha, what was Elisha doing? He was plowing. He was farming. He was working. Okay? So we're going to talk about plows and mantles the rest of the day. And I hope we do so in a way that encourages you. Because human work and vocation are sacred. That's the thing I want you to know. Human work and vocation are are sacred. Now I want you to look at this picture. I'm going to put it up. This is an actual Polaroid that we were able to uncover from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, I know it's, it's a tired joke. I use it all the time with these pictures. But when the fish are biting, you keep throwing the same bait, y'all, okay? And, and I'm telling you, Elijah is looking rough, guys. He is looking rough in this picture. But this picture is powerful because it represents Elijah putting the mantle of being the prophet onto Elisha, and Elisha still has his hand on that plow. I love this picture. And these two poor oxen have no idea that they're about to be barbecued. They're as happy as they can be, but brothers, it is not about to work out well. Now, what I want you to see today is both are sacred. That mantle is sacred, and that plow is sacred. And we've done a bad thing in the church where we have made the mantle 
very, very special, and we try to act like that the, the plow is just common, nothing special about that. We almost think that when Elisha took his hand off the plow and took on the mantle, that he got some huge promotion, and he went from secular work suddenly to sacred work, and I just want to blow that whole picture up for you today. Because I want you to know that that plow was sacred just like that mantle was sacred. They are both sacred. They're just different. And I want this to be encouraging you to, to you today because we need a theology of work. We need a doctrine of vocation from the scriptures that will sustain us, that will uh, bring joy to our daily lives. Because the truth is, at our church, at all of our campuses, the vast majority of us are on the plow. The vast majority of you are called to the plow. There's only a few that are called to the mantle. I was called early, 12, 13 years old. I knew it. My grandma tried to talk me out of the mantle. She's like, Chris, you make a lot more money on the plow. And she loved Jesus, but she was like, oh, my goodness, one of my grandbaby, my grandbaby is called to ministry. I was like, I called her nanny. I was like, nanny, God's called me to ministry. Are you sure about that? You better pray about that, you know? And then once she realized, oh, I was for real, she was very, very excited about it. But the plow and the mantle are both absolutely sacred. Work and vocation. Look, work is not a curse. Work was given to Adam in a sinless garden. Before the fall, there was work. So work is not a result of the fall of man. Work was a gift from God before the fall of man. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. There was work to do. Adam had a job before God even gave him his wife, which is a good order for us to have in the modern world. Adam was supposed to name the animals. You can tell when he was loving it, and you can tell, like all of us, when he got bored with it. He started with really great words. Hippopotamus, that's amazing. Rhinoceros, impressive. Then he got bored. Bat, cat, rat. Thing flies by him, fly. You know what I mean? Brother needed a break. But there was a plow in the garden, and it was a gift. God created us for this. Work's not a curse, and the mantle of ministry is not more special than the mantle of the plow. They're just different. They're unique. They're distinct. Listen, a biblical view of work will bring purpose, fulfillment, and joy to our lives. You know what I want? I want every one of you to leave encouraged today because I know that you know Monday morning is coming. And when you get up tomorrow morning and you go to work, I want you to know your work is sacred. Your work is sacred. Now, let me be honest. I, I believe that what I'm doing right here is sacred. I do. But what you do is sacred as well. I want you to understand that. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Don't miss the fact, though, that God wanted Elisha to be a companion for Elijah, but he also wanted Elijah to disciple Elisha. He needed to pour his life into someone, and he had never done that yet. Elijah was a lone ranger. He's doing great things, not teaching anyone else to do it. And let me tell you, it, I believe the call for every Christian in this room is to disciple someone. I believe that one of the things we're supposed to do, whether we're on the plow or the mantle, is to disciple other Christians. And you may be here today and you may say, well, Chris, I don't feel worthy to do that at all. I am not qualified. I can't even get my own life together, much less teach someone else. One of my mentors taught me this about discipleship. All you have to do to be able to disciple someone is be one step ahead of them. That's it. 
Can you teach them to come to the step ahead of them that you are? That's all you get. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have Leviticus memorized before breakfast every morning. You don't have to be a Pharisee. You don't have to have all your stuff together. Are you one step ahead of someone? Then you can grab them by the hand and bring them along. That is what biblical discipleship looks like. And if you're here today and you go, I want to disciple someone in my life. I want to learn to do that. Best book I've read on it was written by our founding pastor here at Three Circle Church. His name is Mike Meganson. You can get this in the lobby. This is an incredible book. Mike has lived this in his life. And, you know, back in the late 1800s, he started Bay Area Baptist Church here. Um, It's just a little joke. If he's in the room, he's smiling, I promise. Uh, No, uh, he founded this church, Bay Area Baptist, and it became what it is today, Three Circle. And he's still on our staff, and I just love him so much. Get this book. If you want to learn how to disciple people and what it really means to make a disciple, this is this this will help you. I want everyone in the room to do that like Elijah does for Elisha. But the one thing I want you to see about Elisha is when he was found by the prophet, he was working. He was working, and there's no indication that he hated the plow. Think about it. The famine has just lifted, it's starting to rain. And he's out there plowing the field. By the way, scholars who look at this will tell you, we get this picture that it's just him out in the field all by himself plowing. Uh Uh-uh. He was with 12 other people. He's the 12th one. There's 12 teams of oxen out there. And just think about it. Elijah walks up. He's famous now. It's spreading all over the country. That, That crazy guy that ate buzzard food for two years out by the creek and who, you know, faced down Ahab and Jezebel, that guy, He is Elijah, this powerful prophet, and they're all hearing about what happened on Mount Carmel. Well, he comes walking up with that prophet mantle, and all these guys are out there on their tractors. They're John Deere's, they're Kubota's. You know what a tractor is in the ancient world. It's an ox. They're great. There's a Kubota and a John Deere and a Massey Ferguson. They're all out there plowing, and they look up. There's Elijah, and they think, ooh, why is he coming here? Is he about to burn all of us up? You know, you never know. And Elijah goes straight for Elisha. And puts his mantle on him. And he knew exactly what it was. Do you notice that? He doesn't go, what is this? No, he immediately realizes, oh my goodness, I am being called by the prophet to do what he does. I know what this means. But there's no indication that he thought there was anything wrong with the plow. He just understood that God was calling him to something different. See, both. How sacred do you think it was that that plow was feeding his family and that whole community. They were growing food to feed. That is sacred work. So I do believe what I'm doing here is sacred today. But I also believe what you guys are going to do tomorrow and the next day and today is sacred. You stay-at-home moms, you're working, y'all, and it's sacred. I live in a house built by a friend of mine. His name is Ryan. He builds incredible houses, and he built mine. And do you know that my house has been a blessing to my family for a decade now? You know how many memories we've made in there? You know how many dinners, you know how many sermons I've written at the dining room table in my house that Ryan built? You know what I think about Ryan? I think that he does sacred work. You know all you teachers in this room, my kids go to your schools, you're doing sacred work. All of you at all your campuses, Thomasville, Mobile, Alabama, you are doing sacred work. When you do law, if you're a lawyer and you do it to the glory of God, that is sacred. The plow is sacred. Don't ever despise the plow. Don't ever think the plow is a demotion. No, the plow is sacred. All human work and vocation, when done for the glory of God, is sacred. And I want you to know that today. I want you to sense that today. Paul warned the Colossians to not think that the common things of this world are evil. And that was a movement called aestheticism. 
Uh, they, they taught that it was a false teaching. They taught that the body is bad, there's, there's spiritual things, and everything else is wicked in some way and dirty. And he says in Colossians, These appear, this appears to be wise. That's not wise at all. He says that's a self-made religion, aestheticism, severity to the body. They do no value in stopping indulgence in the flesh. He says that's not the direction to go. That all things can be redeemed. Let me tell you, if you're, if you're here today and you do sinful work, you need to stop that. That's not good. You can't consider that the plow of the Bible. But all work that's not sinful is sacred. Cooking tacos, sacred. Amen. My friend Doug, he takes care of my teeth. Sacred. I'm thankful for Doug. If I had to do it myself, it would be a mess, y'all. Seriously. Sacred work. Everything you guys do, deeply, I want you to know as your pastor, when you wake up tomorrow morning, I want you to wake up with joy and purpose because God's given you a plow. And it's sacred. And it matters. And it will matter forever. The Puritans had a good view of how God calls all people in some way. The Puritans were great theologians, and they said this about vocation in three ways. They said God calls humans to ever right action regardless of the situation. We consider that moral. All creatures that God has created, all human beings in his image, he says, I want you to do the right thing in the right way all the time. You're to seek to do right. That's why we could pray for the Ukrainians the way we did today. Because that is what we are to seek and act upon That's how we are to do it. Ever right action. He also, number two, calls humans to salvation. Every Christian was called by God to that. You didn't do it on your own. You didn't come to God on your own. He called you. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, you know what, I've been a sinner a long time. I think I'd like to follow God. Sinners don't do that. God called you. He drew you to himself. But thirdly, this comes to vocation. God calls humans, Christians, to a personal or particular calling and vocation with a set of roles and tasks. And we call this very specific. All of us are called generally to Christ in our salvation if we are believers, but then he has things for us to do. And some people he calls to the mantle. And some people he calls to the plow. And they are both sacred. And we are to appreciate one another and value one another and encourage one another in that work that God has called us to do. And it is sacred. And we can have joy in it. This is a great quote, and I want you to kind of read through the old English way of speaking that this Puritan Thomas Shepard said. But I love this quote. It is a fireball of a quote. You ready? So he's talking to every Christian who's been called to the plow. So he's not talking to ministry here, although all things are ministry for the Christian. He's talking to everyone, though, that went to the plow. He says, seeing yourself thus working in worldly employments, the plow. For him. You see that? So you do what you do to God. You may easily apprehend. So what he's saying there is, I want you to get this. Like you can, you can believe what he's about to tell you is true. You can easily apprehend that for that time God calls you to them, the plow, and you attend upon the work of Jesus Christ in them. In other words, you do your work and you do it well to the glory of God. Look what happens. He says, you honor God as much, nay, more by the meanest servile worldly act than if you should have spent all that time in meditation, prayer, or any other spiritual employment to which you had no call at that time. Man, I love that quote. He's like, listen, teachers, lawyers, doctors, contractors, salesmen, your work is sacred. And, and this guy's saying, when you do that to the joy of God and the glory of God, 
and you do it well. What you're doing, you, it, it is as holy as if you would have spent all that time sitting in a room, looking at your Bible, and praying. That's powerful. He's saying it's sacred to go do good work to the glory of God. See it as such. I'm hoping, my prayer this morning was, God, I pray you'll change every person in our church. I pray you'll change their Monday morning today on Sunday morning. That's what I pray what you just heard will do for you. To bring you joy and purpose. So, make this clear. The plow that Elisha was on led to the mantle. You think God would have called Elisha to this great office if he was lazy, sitting around in his mama's basement? Just, just saying, I hope God will use me one day. No, 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 no. This is a guy who works. When the rain came, he went out there with the rest of the men in the community and got a plow and is gladly plowing. He's working hard and it is sacred. And he's trying to feed people and feed his family. And God comes to him while he is plowing and gives him the mantle. He comes to him and says, while you're doing good work, I got something else I want you to do. Remember, Jesus came to the fishermen. Peter and those guys had jobs. Jobs are good, don't you think? They're blessings from the Lord. The plow led to the mantle. But make no mistake, the mantle, once it was given, did require leaving the plow. So he, he didn't give Elisha the opportunity to go, hey, you want to plow on one day and do this work the next? No, he's saying, I'm calling you to vocational ministry, basically. I'm calling you to leave the plow. He does not do everyone like that. It's specific. You've got to pray through what God's calling you to do. I've watched people. There are guys on our staff. There are ladies on our staff who were at a plow, and God said to them, I want you to leave the plow and take on the mantle. And they did that, and they obeyed. There's always a price to be paid for doing that. Why? Because the plow for all of us represents security, identity, and provision. Right? So when God calls us to do something else, the plow is who I am. Elisha knew how to plow. He didn't know how to do what Elijah was calling him to do. He's going to have to learn. But God was calling him to do it. Now, for some of us, God does say, hey, I want you to do both. I want you to plow and have a mantle. There's a lot of different ways God calls us, and you have to pray through it. But you must obey what God calls you to do. I don't want you to miss this, though. Elisha celebrated both the plow and the mantle. How does he respond? First, he looks at Elijah and says, I am all in. I will do what God's calling me to do. In fact, I'm excited about it. But I need to go talk to my family. I need to let everyone know. And Elijah says, fine, just don't forget to come back. Don't forget I've given you a mantle. So he goes, and what does he do? Very symbolic. He gets his buddies. I'm assuming it's all those guys that were out in the field with him and his mom and dad, his family. So tells you a little bit about his age. Probably not an older guy. He's a young guy. still got his parents. He brings them all together for a barbecue. Y'all, this is a barbecue. If you're wondering what's happening here, he cooks up the oxen. You know, let me tell you why oxen are so great. They were tractors you could eat. <laughs> you get hungry. I don't care how hungry you are. You're not going to throw that John Deere on a grill. You can't saute a Kubota tractor up enough to grill it up. But back in that day, you could eat your tractor. And that's what he did. So he calls everybody together and he says, Guys, what, I'm going to celebrate what I've been doing because the plow has been sacred. And I've loved what I've been doing. God has called me, and y'all all saw it. They all saw it when it happened. Y'all know God's called me to do something else, so we're going to celebrate. 
I celebrate what you guys do, and I hope you'll celebrate what God's calling me to do. You guys keep plowing. Thank God you're plowing. And, and do you know, he, he takes the oxen, and he's going to make ribeyes and whatever they want, New York strip, fillets, whatever everybody wants. But what does he cook it with? What is the charcoal, if you will? It's the plow. He takes that wooden plow and the wooden yokes on the oxen, and he breaks them down, and that's how he builds the fire. So symbolic. And he's saying, I honor what I have done all this time, but I'm stepping into something different, and both are sacred, and we can celebrate both. So a bunch of farmers and his family have a barbecue to send Elisha out because the plow and the mantle are sacred. Look at that picture again. They're both sacred. Hear me today. They're both sacred, but I do want to say this. Some of you in this room, we don't do this a lot at Three Circle, but some of you in this room or at one of the rooms at our campuses or online, you know that God wants to give you a mantle. He has called you to vocational ministry, and it scares you to death, but you know God's called you to do it. If God has placed a mantle calling on your life, we want to help you with that. We don't want you to live in disobedience. At some point, you're going to have to let go of the plow. And if you're one of those people, we want to help you through it. And we'll tell you how to let us know that later on in this gathering. But I want you to think, what has God called you to? The plow or the mantle? What's he calling you to do? What has following Jesus cost you? What has following Jesus cost you? If it hasn't cost you anything, you may not be following. And I'm convinced of Psalm 37 that for all of us, he will order the steps of his people if we will listen and obey. I don't know what your Monday morning is going to look like. I'm going to go to the mantle. Most of us in this room will go to the plow. But I pray that both of us will go knowing that what we do is sacred to the glory of God. Amen, church? Lord, thank you for your word today and your grace. Help us to live this out in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.